0: Welcome to Whispering Loudly. The award-winning Workshop Whisperer podcast as featured by Apple with Rachel Evans, the number one automotive business coach in the aftermarket. Thanks to Diamond sponsor Ventivid, Platinum sponsor Podium and Titanium sponsor Mechanic Desk. Betty
1: Clemenko broke the mould when she entered the Supercast Championship in 2013. All tattoos, black boots and bleached hair and her down-to-earth go get attitude made her an instant hit. The popular motorsport matriarch has since set a new standard for accessibility, providing glimpses of behind-the-scenes action to loyal fans. A shake-up at the beginning of 2016 saw Betty surrounded by new drivers, race cars, and many new faces when she moved her team from Queensland to Victoria. Fast forward 18 months and her team of David Reynolds and Luke Yulden not only conquered the mountains, but every powerhouse garage (laughs) further up pit lane. Bathurst 2017 is a large chapter in Betty's incredible life story. And in 2019, the loyalty that Betty has shown to her driver, David Reynolds, resulted in another awesome chapter. David created history by signing a 10-year agreement unheralded in supercars and a rarity in sport. That agreement will see David's tenure extended to 14 years. Betty has always had a long-term plan for her team and she vows she won't give up on taking the fight to the bigger teams. Welcome to the Workshop Whisperer podcast, Betty Clemenko. For those who might have been living
2: under a rock since 2013, can you let me know a little bit about your team?
3: Well, we started off at the very, very bottom end of motorsport in F3s. And we worked our way up into until we reached the GT level, which is overseas and here is actually now getting a good reputation. And we won the championship. We won the 12-hour endurance race at Bathurst with our Mercs. And basically it was, I'm not racing enough. There's only six rounds every year. I want to race more. How do I do that? Only way to do it is to go into V8 supercars. And it was at that time you had to bring in a new manufacturer. So we took in the the HSV, not allowed to call it Mercedes, Mercedes on the road. So we went into the Mercs. The hard thing about that was we had to make our own engine and we did it in 109 days, which is unheard of. And we got the cars out for that season, put in a lot of money in there, put a lot of money into the Mercs and into the, into those couple of years and then went, I can't do this anymore in the sense of the amount that it was costing. So yeah. I just went, yeah, let's just go to Holden. Yeah. It seems to suit everybody else, so let's go to Holden. That's what <laughs> we did. And since then, it's just everything seems to have clicked into place.
2: What made you want to get into motorsport in the first place?
3: I've always loved motorsport, but I always I was a property developer. I worked with my father. It was like a planned family thing. You know, you just can't get out of family you know, business. And then my father passed away. And I just went, I've been working here for so long that I looked at my sister, who's 19 years younger than me. And I just pointed my finger at her and her husband and went, it's your turn. I'm still on the board. I'm still in the vice chairman, but I don't spend any time or well, as much time in the office as I used to. And I spend more time doing motorsport. And we're just about to have our sixth grandchild. So and I'm a hopeless grandmother. So I think I have to change all that.
2: In 2018, the age said that you were the unlikely heiress revving up motorsport. Can you tell us why they might call you the unlikely heiress?
3: Well, I live in Sydney in the eastern suburbs and everyone around me drives Mercedes and, you know, they go to bridge and they go shopping and, mm-hmm. and I didn't do that. I've got tattoos everywhere. i I look more goth than anything else. I I drive a Holden. I have other cars as well, but I we have two Holdens now. And my mind would never went along that path. My My mind, I hate to, no, my mind wasn't in the gutter per se, but I just, I love being with people, like being with people who matter to me. And the people who matter to me are, are, the, are the everyday people that work very hard for a living, especially in motorsport. And I always had something to talk to them about. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have to sit there looking at them and saying to myself, think pink, think pink, you know, say something girly, you know, I could be myself and that's what, that's what I've always loved to do is to just to be myself.
2: Erebus Motorsport is known as a great team with a good culture and loyalty amongst it. For our audience of auto repair shop owners globally listening to this, wanting to create a great culture, what tips would you have for them about how you've achieved it?
3: Very good question. Loyalty, I think, starts at the at the, the top of the tree. And it's your loyalty that you show to your employees, to your drivers, that comes back in spades to you. I treat my staff like I would treat a friend, but they do know that there is a line. And, you know, I might go with them and have a beer, but then after two beers, I walk away so they don't have to. You know, they can go and get pizzled without the boss. It's knowing how to bal- to make the balance and mm. and where the line is. You've got to know where where your line is. My line may be different to someone else's. You know, my line is you know twelve vodkas and I go home, but someone else might be two vodkas and they go home. You just have to know where your line is.
0: Want to find out how the Workshop Whisperer team can put your auto repair shop on the path to business success? Head to www.workshopwhisperer.com. Slash Whispering loudly to claim your free workshop success session with the team.
2: So, what I'm hearing is there needs to be boundaries that you respect as the owner, so that they have respect for them as well. That you care by having great conversations with them and learning about what's important to them, and really allowing them to have fun in your organisation, but also allowing them to go off and have fun in their personal life.
3: No, we we have a at track. We will be very professional when it comes to racing, but the minute the race is over on come the hillbilly music and the the pigs and I don't know every other type of music you can think of and it goes on loud we have a certain culture in our team and you know you don't want me singing because I sound like a frog but (laughs) I do it anyway and then I know when you know I know that these guys are giving me their everything that they have they've just been they just did 109 days outside of their home stage not seeing their families Any one of them could have walked away at any time in those 109 days, but they didn't. They stayed with the team and that says a lot to me.
2: So for our shop owners out there who feel like throwing in the towel, there would have been times where you felt that way, especially when you were hemorrhaging money with Mercedes. When you were running those, you would have felt like throwing in the towel, I'm sure. What would you say to our listeners that feel like throwing in the towel? What's your advice to them?
3: The CEO of my company, Barry Ryan, he was on television. They were talking about me and he just said, how many buses do you want her to climb out from under? Because it was just one thing after another, after another. And I had just got to the, to the last bus yeah. that had just knocked me over. And I thought, why do I do this when I could just stay at home and not do this? There's something inside you that says, get up, you fat little turd, and get up and start doing it again. And, and that it doesn't matter what they throw at you. You get up. Though, you know, as long as I can stand up, I can get up. And sometimes it's not even just me standing up, people standing up for me, for me. And that makes me get up. You know, mm-hmm. the motorsport's a very hard game. You can have things slung at you. You know, there's enough crap being thrown at you all the time. And I'm a woman, the only woman who owns a team, who started a team. You've got to work twice as hard. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what anyone says. I have never had a problem with them. I've never had a problem with the boys club. But I still have to prove myself twice as much just to to do it. But I just get up, you just get up and you know that the sun's gonna come up tomorrow. Those are the things that pull you along because it's not worth giving up because you know that tomorrow you can, the only way is up and you're gonna solve it. I have a saying that I say in my head, just do what you effing have to do. And that's when I'm really down, I just go, get your big ass off the ground and just do what you effing have to do. That just pushes me along.
2: Finally, Betty, my clients would have my guts for garters if I didn't ask you what it felt like to win Bathurst and be crowned the queen of the mountain.
3: Very good question because when it happened, I couldn't talk. I literally didn't think it was going to happen. Right. And as Dave was doing his last lap, as he was coming down in front of the hotel then he's coming into the last corner, I had to have my back turned to the track and I was looking at the big screen because I just didn't want to jinx it. He mm-hmm. still had one corner left and I've never felt like this. My heart was in my mouth. I just got this whole, Oh my God, we are going to win this thing. And he came around, he came around the last corner. He goes through, and I hear the commentators say, you've won, you know, Erebus Dave, Dave Reynolds has won a Bathurst. And I'm like, nah, don't be stupid. That's that's my husband's grabbing me and kissing me and hugging me. They put a microphone. I went, I can't talk, go away, go away. And that was, I was rude and I'm not really rude, but, I just couldn't talk. And then when I did talk, I said the most stupid thing. Oh, I wonder if my children are watching this. That was, <laughs> I, I, out of everything I could say in my whole life, I just wanted to know if my children were watching. So my poor children each got like a thousand phone Did you see your mother just <laughs> For me, it was a bucket list thing. Mm. This was, Bacchus was something that was in the future. This was not for my second year as a holding car. This was mm. something that was in the future and I was looking forward to it and I would... I spent the day talking and doing all this, you know, doing everything you do in Bathurst. Because after, you know, being up early in the morning, all you want to go do is find a little hole to have a nana nap. And uh, I don't think it even hit me when we were leaving the track because we dro- we live in Sydney, so we drove back to Sydney. And I got home and I got in the bathtub. I stood up in the bath and I started kicking all the water and it going, I effing won Bathurst. This is at two in the morning. And mm-hmm. since then it was just like, yeah, you did, but you deserved it. And that to me, yeah, that is, if you deserve something and you get it, that is the best way to get it.
2: That's an amazing story and I know it's not luck. I've read so much about you and I've actually seen you speak live in Newcastle.
0: Thanks for listening to Whispering Loudly, the award-winning workshop whisperer podcast, as featured by Apple with Rachel Evans, the number one automotive business coach in the aftermarket. Thanks to diamond sponsor Ventivid, platinum sponsor Podium and titanium sponsor Mechanic Desk.